to Code Together, an interview series exploring the possibilities of cross-architecture development with those at the forefront. I'm your host, Brenda Christopher. Scientific visualization is providing new insights in healthcare and advancing medical research in ways that we couldn't imagine a decade ago. It's an evolving and promising field where extracting visualizations from very large data sets can improve analysis, diagnosis, and patient outcomes while reducing costs. Potential usages are abundant, but there are still challenges to be overcome. Today, we'll hear from two guests who are working in scientific visualization in different ways. We have Teodora Sotz, a computational scientist at the Research Computing Center of the University of Chicago, where she also manages its visualization lab. Dora leads several teams working in computer vision, deep learning, and scientific visualization. She is also a Google Cloud Research Innovator, part of an international team of experts that use cloud technology to advance research. Welcome, Dora. Thank you for having me. Our next guest is Donna Nemchik. She's a performance validation lead in Intel's Advanced Rendering and Visualization Architecture Group. Donna leads performance analysis of our company's One API rendering toolkit components on many types of Intel platforms, be it clients, desktops, servers, HPC clusters, and even GPU-based systems. Donna, thanks so much for joining. It's good to be here, Brenda. So let's get started. Dora, could you share how you got started in scientific visualization? Of course. And I would like to start with how I joined the University of Chicago. It has been an interesting journey. I joined University of Chicago in 2016 after finalizing my PhD in France in medical imaging. And here at the University of Chicago, my role is to help researchers across different departments, you name it, economic, medicine, chemistry, public policy. There is no boring project, I promise. Now, there are lots of challenges. I remember in 2017 when I joined the surgery department at the University of Chicago, they contacted us and they brought a billion simulated subs data we were trying to visualize it, and I was trying a lot of libraries, uh, OpenCV, OpenGL. In 2017, in May, I participated to this wonderful hackathon that was organized in Texas Advanced Computing Center on visualization. And there I met Jim Jeffers from Intel, Paul Navratil from Tech, Jeff Amstrud, who was actually developing on Intel Osprey library. And we were thinking, well, let's give it a try. I have the billion cells data and we have a new library. It was like magic, just plug and play. And I could see the beautiful visualization of billion cells in multiple colors, multiple orientations. I called immediately University of Chicago and 
I told them, you should see this. Um, now, the only thing that was missing was a very large screen to visualize this big data. Now, I was very lucky in 2018. I led and designed the installation of, we call it the wall of knowledge, which is really a large 25 by 9 feet screen that contains 18 displays and is capable of rendering 38 megapixel resolution. It's also touch screen. So being able to rotate and zoom in and look at different patterns of the cells, it was just amazing. Wow, that sounds incredible. So visualization has really changed your research dramatically, you know, with the big data sets and being able to visualize them and manipulate them on this giant wall of knowledge that is truly amazing. So you mentioned touchscreen and the ability to maneuver through the simulations of these objects. So I'm curious, how has COVID impacted your work not being able to stand in front of that screen and do your research? and really understand the depths of the medical processes you're looking at and how has COVID changed things for you? I'm very glad that you asked this question, Donna. I have lots of stories around how we transition from working on the lab to remote work. I remember the last day before COVID, I was there and we were able to reproduce this impressive visualization of a radiation of a massive star. A massive star is a hundred to thousand times bigger than the sun. So I was there with Jim Jeffers and Joe Inslee from the visualization team at Argon, and they shared with me the data and I was able to reproduce it with Paraview uh, on our big screen. I was just getting started to be very exciting when, when the, the pandemic hit and I couldn't go anymore in the laboratory and in fact at the office. So my transition was mostly towards projects that I started before pandemic on computer vision. And one of the projects we started was um, measuring structural inequality in children's books. I love this project. It's basically we are, with my team, we are looking at the images in children's books and it's a lot of diversity there in illustrations and pictures, different resolutions. But what we are interested in is we call it the invisible monster and is this discrimination that it's built in social structures and institutions then we really don't notice so we really want to look into how the images in the books in children's books really influence what children think that's possible, not only for them, but also for the others. So, for example, if a man never sees a woman as president, then he might think that this is not even possible to vote for a woman as a president. This is really, really important. 
Now, when COVID hit, um, I got really anxious <laughs> and I was really considering at one moment go and study on becoming on the front lines uh, nurse, maybe. But then I realized that with my skills on medical imaging, I could volunteer on supporting the Department of Pulmonary Critical Care at the University of Chicago that were working on COVID data. So I reached out to them and I'm, I'm still working nowadays with them. Otherwise, um, my long time projects are, is really on prostate cancer and breast cancer lesion detections using deep learning and on visualizing this data in uh, more interactive ways. It was great that you were able to almost reinvent yourself and take on some new projects, still with visualizing and imagery in the context of diversity. That must be a really exciting project for you. You know, I was wondering, has COVID led you to, you know, research directly related to COVID itself? Were you able to latch into some projects there so that you can explore this disease that has really impacted everyone on the globe? Yes, at the beginning of the pandemic, I reached out to the pulmonary department at the University of Chicago to offer my medical imaging expertise. And I started working with them. I'm still working with this department. It is a project that uses artificial intelligence to predict the maximal oxygen support that will be needed for COVID-19 patients based on their chest X-ray and their clinical data. So why we are interested in looking at the maximal oxygen support? Well, if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a crisis on hospital beds and ICU beds, and not everyone was lucky to have the really good care they needed when they got infected with COVID. So this team is the pioneer in placing the critical patients into, we call them oxygenated helmets. Instead of pursuing the more clinically involved options of using ventilators, which requires going in incubation and taking a patient to ICU for a certain number of days. So the team looked at having patients on helmets. <laughs> Did I hear you say helmet? Like they wear a helmet on their head? <laughs> yeah, I was imagining the motorcycle helmet at the beginning of the project as well. Uh, but when I got to closer to see how this works, actually there is this helmet that surrounds the patient's entire head to supply oxygen. And it fills with the nice soft airside collar that wraps, wraps around the neck. So maybe they can go in a motorcycle with the helmets, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> That is incredible. What a novel idea to be able to give acute care and advance notification to patients who may need intensive care, you know, and there's minimal beds. And what a great research. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. 
let's circle back a little bit more on the visualization. And, you know, you mentioned big data sizes and clusters. Can you share a bit more insight on your computing infrastructure? Of course. And I could talk for days about this. Our cluster is named Midway. But this year we launched Midway 3, which is a new high-performance computing cluster of over 10,000 cores. And together with Midway, we make around 40,000 cores. What's special about Midway 3, and I'm very excited because I can use it for all my projects, is really dedicated for artificial intelligence, extensive jobs. Um, so it's the first time also we build a system with both Intel and AMD processors. When I say dedicated for artificial intelligence, is really we have top GPU capabilities uh, nowadays. We have NVIDIA A A100 and B100. I can really see, we can really see the performance going super up. <laughs> the other system that we launched uh, is Skyway. And because I'm a Google Research Innovator this year, I really love Skyway because it allows people working in a cluster to connect to a virtual machine in cloud. And it's just beautiful. <laughs> we don't need to know or to provision cloud resources anymore through cloud. We can just do them through a supercomputer. So it's really improving productivity. And these are basically the two main systems that, that we have at the university. Of course, my favorite is still the wall of knowledge. <laughs> and that's something like I really look forward to go back and keep visualizing more data. How does performance impact your research, like the performance of this infrastructure? Yeah, well, because of Midway 3 and because all my projects right now include deep learning, I can really see when I go and train a model instead of waiting for training to happen in two days, now it will happen in several hours. New GPUs are really crazy. And it's also great, the fact that this year, uh, the University of Chicago team was the first to generate a computational model on the COVID-19 virus. Uh, this was used, uh, they used Midway and Frontera system attack to, to create this model. So it's really very exciting. So then on top of the infrastructure, we've got this layer of software. And you had mentioned, you know, the One API rendering toolkit. How do you use the ray tracing APIs in your research? These days, we are mostly looking in the medical field. So we are looking at simulating how cancer lesions might develop over time or how the tumor is growing in certain areas of the body. 
using imaging, we know the location of the tumor, but also using simulation and basically knowing the mechanical process on the cancer growth, we can visualize how the cancer is spreading in the surrounding tissues. One API rendering toolkit will be really good tool to use in visualizing the structure and segmenting these shapes and watch over time by simulating how they could develop in surrounding regions. You generate a whole lot of data and look at it at the back end, or do you use in situ type simulation where real time you're observing the data as it's being generated? I'm very happy that you asked this question, Donna. How I like to describe in situ to people that do not know what in situ is, imagine you're buying a car and I give to manufacturer all the specifications, color, seat, uh, what's the noise, the music system, everything. And then the manufacturer come back to you and six months later and say, well, here's your car, bye. Well, we don't want that. So when we buy a car, we would like to go and visit maybe every week and check on the progress, adjust some parameters and see the progress. So more and more we transition into having simulation and generating visualization real time as the simulation is progressing and be able to visualize it. That's what in-situ is. We can check on results every time and we can go back and change parameters and see what's the progress of the simulation if it is in the direction we want. Right now, we use Paraview with Catalyst to do in-situ visualization. So, Dora, it's really fascinating how you've really opened up how scientific visualization has worked in the research that you're doing and really helped out the university in advancing healthcare. Now, you mentioned all of these tools that enabled you to turn those data sets into something visual. And Donna, you work on a lot of those tools, the Intel One API rendering toolkit that have helped enable that. Could you tell us a little bit about that tool and the work that you do on the teams to make them work for those who need to use them? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Brenda. So what I do in the advanced rendering and visualization architecture team is those components that you know and love out in open source, be it Intel, Embry, Osprey, Open Volume Kernel Library, Osprey Studio, Open Image Denoise. I take those components and add a little layer of glue on it, I call it, to format them into the One API rendering toolkit bundle. And what that all means is you get the same great APIs, no change. I pulled the source code from the GitHub releases and I distribute easy to use binaries in a toolkit bundle. So you go to the One API rendering toolkit, search on Google and get it now button is right there on the page for you. You click that button and you will have this toolkit installed on your Windows machine, on your Linux workstation. And 
the installation will download everything you need to run those libraries all in that one button click. And that's the ease of use that we've brought to the user community through the One API Rendering Toolkit, and then the ability to access our tools, you know, in Yum and Apt repositories. There's a whole slew of other repositories that folks can download them from. So you can get them anywhere these days and make your development real streamlined, make updates of the components within your applications very easy at the click of a button. Super. So as we wrap up, Dorit, could you tell us where do you see the future heading for scientific visualization in your organization? Oh, real-time visualization and being able to get immersive experiences, that's where visualization will go. And as I'm hearing you, Donna, you mentioned how the Osprey library and one API framework and toolkit are really easy to install and plug and play. I wish we can design in academia same tools uh, that are easy to install and reproduce. This year, maybe because I had time to just sit and be more with the code, I go really into advocating for bringing more industry resources and best practices for writing frameworks and codes and creating products into academia. Uh, So having reproducibility and great documentation as the Osprey library is when I look in GitHub and same level of collaboration uh, between institutions. I think this will really, it's, it's an area where we, we need to put more energy. And sometimes it's, it's hard to see that uh, in academia, great researchers are leaving with their code. So nobody can continue and collaborate uh, and there is no documentation. So. Yeah, I wish we can learn more from Intel and bring these best practices in our setup in academia. And Donna, as one of our technologists, where do you see the future heading for visualization? So I am thinking big, 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 and big. I'm thinking, you know, big data, data getting even bigger, big compute power on HPC clusters, Big storage capability, you know, factoring in the powerful Octane memory that can drop right into your machines and expand your memory footprint into the terabytes. And then there's this big screen displaying this incredible, stunning, high-fidelity images that enable this groundbreaking research, you know, by way of using, you know, the components of the One API Rendering Toolkit. I have to say, Dora, I would really love to one day stand in front of that wall of knowledge and manipulate some of those incredible research images that you get to play with all day long. I've got oodles of experience in writing embedded code on HPC switching systems, and I've worked on like NAS storage performance and memory generation for ICs. And I tell you, you know, now working in this visualization space, this just brings it all together for me. And it's just one big playground. It's exciting. It's an exciting space to be in. And 
I think, you know, the best is yet to come in the visualization space. I do agree, Donna. And please come and visit our visualization wall anytime. <laughs> so, Dora, where can people go to to learn more? In the Research Computing Center website, rcc.uchicago.edu. You can find here resources on information about our systems and a lot of workshops that we give on visualization, Python, GitHub, and so on. Um, our visualization laboratory website is vislab.rcc.uchicago.edu where you can find some of our work and visualization there. Of course, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Super. And Donna, do you have any places you want to recommend as resources? Absolutely. Very easily Google search One API Rendering Toolkit, and you will be led to our homepage, which will get you access and, you know, deep dive into all the components that comprise the toolkit. Likewise, you can go to bitly.com slash render kit, and it will transform you to the same page and follow me on Twitter at Donna Nemshik at Dean Emshi and do connect with me online and LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, I greatly enjoyed this topic and conversation with you both. Dora, thank you so much for joining us today. Your passion really comes across and I definitely enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And Donna, great to have you with us. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Brenda. This was a lot of fun. And a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation at oneapi.com.